Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Everything is possible for one who believes. Welcome to Faith Matters. Okay, it's chapter 14, right? In the Faith Matters segment for the Book of Signs. But before we go to that, we're going to talk about just a little bit more of what happened this week, and that is something we've been doing since the beginning of the year of 2022. In fact, we started uh, the month before. It was actually the Advent season Mm -hmm. in Christmas time of last year. We started doing a daily devotional on the air. Yes. Every single day, Monday through Friday, for the last uh, however many weeks there are this year. And so we want to just maybe make this a habit on our Friday night where we cover what we learned through the five days in our devotional for the week. Yeah. Right? I think that's good. Summary is always a good thing. And because it's such a waste if we don't hear it again and again because there's so many good nuggets in some of these. I know. And you pick some fantastic devotionals. These I'm, are just, just, I'm just picking them. These are, <laughs> the devotionals have the content. You know? I, know, I know. It's God's <laughs> word, but they're so powerful, really. This one was the power of the decree. And I never really knew what a decree was other than I heard that like in a divorce decree. Right. Right? I mean, whoa, that's a bad word, right? Decree is an interesting word. And we found out what it means and how to create one and what the results would be if we did so this week in this five-day devotional. So you want to cover what we learned each day? Right. So the the decree is stronger than... um, Something that we make up. Something that we make up, right. Or... uh, Right. A word, um, it a is. mandate. It's stronger than a mandate. It's stronger, it's stronger than, than a, law. a law, even, mm. because a decree is made by the king. Oh, right. right. The king decrees. Right. Mm. But our king, mm-hmm. Jesus, is God. Is God, right? Mm-hmm. So God's decrees are the strongest decrees out there. Ah. And what, what it's saying is a de- decree can't be... Um, doesn't have power unless it's spoken. Hmm. Unless it's activated. Unless it's activated. And so we learned how to take scripture this last week. Which is God's words. God's word. And turn it into a decree. I am claiming this promise for me, for you, for my family, for my country, whatever. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because God says it. Well, yes. That was one of those... One of those things, right? God said it. I believe it. That settles it, right? Yep, that was day two, right? So right. the first day we learned what it was. Second day we settled it. And the third day we learned the difference between a confession 
a proclamation or a decree, with, of course, decree being the strongest. And then we learned in day four how to put it into action. Right. And then, finally, we learned how to write our own decree. Our, our decrees to our family aren't, aren't that strong, but in, you know, other than you're the head of the family. So if you decree something in this family, it's going to be law in the house, right? Mm-hmm. But if we decree something God from, from God's word, mm-hmm. then God already said it. And if we believe what God said, then it's going to be mm-hmm. much stronger. Mm-hmm. So, Yep. And the sample they left us with at the end of the fifth day was the decree of love. No, that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I'm so loved by God that I love others well. So when you make that decree, God said that you do. Mm-hmm. So I love them as he loved me. I am marked by love, for love. All right. Right. And the more you say things, the more you believe them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you continue to say these decrees until they become reality. Right. Is the point. Right. Yeah. Fantastic stuff on you version. Follow along with us every day, Monday through Friday on diggingdeeper.us. We put it right on our our, uh, website, which activates our podcast channel. Because if you're on mobile... It will just pop up right in your screen immediately if you just go to diggingdeeper.us on mobile. Just boom, right there every day. And each day by 10 a.m., that central. is central, mm-hmm. 9 a.m. Mountain, we'll have that posted one on each day, day one through five. Yeah. So. We'd love for you to listen in with us. Yep. And now it's time for our book. We're going to go ahead and go to the Book of Signs. Chapter 14. Right. And wow, what a subject tonight. Yes, we are on the heavenly signs. Heaven, 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 heaven. So. And we we, talked about the rapture and the resurrection, and tonight it is heaven. Right, before this, right. The rapture was that wild week. You weren't here, you were camping or something. So I did the rapture without you, right? And then the resurrection, did we do last week? No, you were gone again. Is that I did weeks? the rapture with you. You were here for the rapture. Yeah. It was the one prior to the rapture. Right. Ah, the preparation of our bodies, right? You know, anyway. Yeah. So it was so amazing to be going through this book and finding these truths. Tonight, it's chapter 14, Heaven. One December, Susan Edwards, Suzanne Edwards, found a deflated blue helium balloon in the backyard of her home in Monroe, Virginia. Excuse me, in Georgia. Attached to it was a tender picture of a man, woman, and little boy who all seemed very happy. Also attached, a note scribbled in childlike printing. As she read the note, she began to cry. It said, Dad, I wish you were here so we could have fun together. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I hope you tell God to give me... Uh, those presents. I hope you are happy in heaven. I hope you're okay. If you're okay, then tell me. I love you, Alejandro. The author of those plaintive words, as Suzanne learned later, was seven-year-old Alejandro Garcia Herreros, whose home was about 20 miles away. Three years before, Alejandro had been living with his parents in Cucuta, Colombia, where his father, Carlos, was a law professor known for his pro-law enforcement views. On December 4th, 2013, Carlos was murdered in the street, shot to death 
in front of his son, Alejandro. Mm. That's sad. Alejandro's mother subsequently moved with him to the United States, but Christmas remained a poignant and painful season for the boy. Toward the end of each year, he composed a letter to his dad and sent it upward in the helium balloon with the belief that the balloon would ascend to heaven and take the message to his dad. Using social media, Suzanne attempted to get in touch with Alejandro's mother by saying, A helium balloon floated into my yard today and landed on my heart. Writing a message to be passed on to the boy, Suzanne also told him, I want you to know that heaven is a wonderful place, more amazing than you or I can even imagine. It is a place where there's no pain and no worries. I'm certain your daddy didn't want to leave you or cause you to feel lonely or sad. He will always love you, and I'm sure that you make him proud. Have a Merry Christmas. When his mother relayed this message to him, Alejandro cried, and so did millions of other people when the story was discovered and picked up by major media outlets around the globe. (laughs) And it touched my heart, too, says Pastor Jeremiah. While I'm pretty sure a blue helium balloon will not make it all the way up to heaven of heavens, I do believe God sees every sparrow that flies and falls. He knows the rising and falling of our spirits. He knows the heartaches and the hopes of every child. Mm -hmm. He who directs the planets in their orbits can certainly send reminders of heaven to those on earth who need it. And we all need these reminders. We need the comfort that comes with from knowing the true biblical doctrine of heaven, that wonderful place which has been a sign of God's love for his creation from Genesis to Revelation and is more amazing than you and I could ever imagine. God created us for heaven. That's our true home. That's our country. That's our destination. And when we set our minds on things above, we can experience a supernatural peace even when the world around us is falling apart. That is the scripture we're going to study earlier. At the rapture of the church, Jesus will escort believers to heaven to live with him forever. As we'll discover in future chapters, amazing new experiences are in store for believers in heaven while the tribulation unfolds on earth. In this chapter... I want to explore what the Bible teaches us about the nature of heaven, tracing what it's like now and what it will be like in the future. Mm. So first he talks about the prominence of heaven. Let's begin with some foundational truths about heaven. The word heaven is mentioned almost 700 times in the Bible. 33 of the 39 Old Testament books talk about heaven, along with 21 books in the New Testament. The word heaven refers to something that is raised up or lofty. So the language of the Bible speaks of heaven as a place that is high, lofty, and lifted up. Heaven plays such a prominent role in scripture that if you delete all references to it from the word of God, the text of the Bible would fall apart in key places and turn to mishmash. (laughs) Yep. And also he demonstrates the plurality of heaven here. As you work your way through the hundreds of mentions of the word heaven in the Bible, you soon realize there's a plurality of heavens. Okay? It means more than one. In fact, the Bible specifically speaks of three distinct heavens. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his visions and revelations, he told them of a time when he was caught up to the third heaven. 
2 Corinthians 2, 12, 2. That clearly implies there's also a first and second heaven. Right. So what's the first heaven? Oh, that's easy. The first heaven is the atmospheric heaven, the sky, with its clouds, birds, and life-giving oxygen. Yep. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11 says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but the water, earth, and make it brought forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. In this passage, the word heaven refers to the atmosphere that yields the rain and snow to the earth. We live in a privileged planet surrounded by thin layers of gases, mainly nitrogen and oxygen, that make life possible. Traces of the Earth's atmosphere stretch 300 miles into space, but it doesn't abruptly end. It simply tapers off gradually. The most vital resources of our atmosphere are within 10 miles of the surface of the Earth, and God custom-designed them to sustain life. No other known planet in the entire universe has an atmosphere like ours. And this is the first heaven. His word does not return void. Correct. That was in there. Just like the rain that returns, that comes to the earth, it shall not return and be void. It's there to make the seed grow. Mm-hmm. In... Our devotional this week, mm-hmm. that same verse was referenced. Yep. Isn't that weird? The same chapter. I mean, we're talking about two different books here, two different studies that started at two different times. Okay? Crazy, huh? Right. Well, that's just how God works. He throws yeah. things in. Yeah. <laughs> but how does he pay attention to those tiny little details and line up those scriptures so that they're both in our same segments? I mean, it's not crazy. So the He's second half. It's that big. Yeah, he, the details, the, 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 the details are amazing. So the second heaven is the vast universe in which we live, filled with billions of stars, planets, dust clouds, meteors, and galaxies. The story of the creation of the second heaven is told in Genesis 1, 14-17. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heavens to the, divide the day from the night, and let them for the signs and seasons be for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And, and it was so. Then he made two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the, great, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth. The psalmist referred to the second heaven when he wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. In Psalm 19 and 1, Jesus said that at the very end of time, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. Matthew 24, 29. These are all references to that second heaven, the stellar skies. Mm-hmm. Outer space. Third one. The third heaven, though. The third heaven is the one Paul had in mind when he wrote... I know a man in this heaven, the heaven of heavens, the highest heaven, is the locale of the throne and the dwelling place of God. It is paradise. Hmm. It is our eternal home. This is where we will soon live side by side with God and with the angels and with the redeemed of all the ages. Hmm. So, the place called heaven. 
It's important for us to realize the third heaven is just as real and just as literal as the other two heavens. Which, I'm glad I got this part to read because, you know, I was wondering, and I bet you were too. Is this third one just as real and literal? Well, the Bible refers to it as a place, a word that implies a specific literal location. Mm-hmm. In John fourteen one through 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. Mm-hmm. Jesus spoke those words in the upper room on the night before his death. How prophetic. Hmm? Right. He had just told his disciples he would die for them on the cross. He explained he would be buried and resurrected and that he would return to heaven. They were confused by this and filled with sorrow, but Jesus told them they shouldn't be troubled. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. The Greek word used in John 14, 3 is topos, which strictly refers to a place that can be located, a real place. The Apostle Paul spoke to Christ, spoke, spoke of Christ as ascending to heaven to sit at God's right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus doesn't intend for us to live in a vapory netherland, in a disembodied and, you know, haze where we have no body. Dis, dis, Dismembered or dis, disembodied, disembodied. Disembodied haze or a blissful but intangible state of mind. Nah, he doesn't want all that crap. No, the Bible <laughs> refers to heaven as a specific place. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be some like dreamy la-la land, okay? <laughs> and we're not going to be ghosts. No, we're not going to be invisible floating around and stuff like that. Right. Sometimes the Bible refers to heaven as a country, which implies vastness of territory. Sometimes it's re- referred to as the celestial city, which brings to mind buildings, streets, residents, and activity. Sometimes heaven is referred to as a kingdom, which speaks of organization and government. If the passage I quoted from John 14, Jesus referred to heaven as my father's house. That's a little different, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's something intimate there, sweet and personal about heaven when we talk about it as my father's house. That's a lot better than those other ones. It's no longer an empty space. In our mind's eye, we see a home, a welcoming. Jesus promised that if we put our trust in him, he will prepare a place for us in our Father's house that will serve as our heavenly home. Mm -hmm. Man, he's even going to make space for us. Yeah. This is incredible. There is nothing imaginary, hypothetical, or intangible about that. So where is this place? The Bible doesn't give us exact coordinates of latitude and longitude, but it does give us one important clue. Heaven is up. Up. Okay. For in Mark 6:41, Jesus took the boy's loaves and fish and he looked up to heaven 
blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples. At the very end of his earthly ministry, Jesus led his disciples to the Mount of Olives, and the Bible says he lifted his hands and blessed them. Hmm. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Hmm. That was in Luke 24, 50 and 51. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 4:10 says, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Mm. This kind of language permeates the scripture, as heaven is continually viewed as being up above the earth, and the earth is described as down below the heavens of God. Where then is heaven? Heaven is up. But which way is up? (laughs) That's not an easy question to answer. It depends on our location on the surface of the earth. Suppose America and China both launched a missile at the same time, each programmed to travel into space at a right angle from the location of its launch. Both missiles would go up, but they would be traveling through the solar system in opposite directions. Up is a helpful word, but it isn't very specific. Yeah, that word. It isn't very specific nice. in terms of location. I love, love, live. I love this life. Real people here. Yeah. Real people, real tongues. Let's narrow down the location of heaven a bit more, since up was a little bit... Vague. We find a fascinating reference to heaven in Isaiah fourteen thirteen. In the passage that speaks of the moment Lucifer was evicted from heaven following his rebellion against God, notice the terminology. The Lord told the devil, You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. The last phrase is a reference to the third heaven. The farthest sides of the north. No matter where you are on earth, north will always be up. Hmm. Interesting. So, so it would seem reasonable to conclude that heaven is somewhere in the northern universe beyond the reach of astronomers' tele- telescopes. And when I read scientists' reports that a place exists in the northern heavens that seems strangely vacant of stars and galaxies, <laughs> it validates that conclusion. Astronomers in Hawaii have found a huge hole in the universe that dwarfs anything else of its kind. This is big news here, guys. Listen up. I talked about this on one of our other reports one time this week. One report tells us this super void, which is 1.8 billion light years across, is Mm. the largest known structure ever discovered in the universe. But scientists are baffled about what it is. Because it's void of any stars. (laughs) Without the scriptures, which are inspired by the Holy Spirit, we would have no idea of heaven's existence or description. But God has revealed to us what heaven is like. Granted, even with the biblical data, we can't fully visualize heaven or appreciate all its glories. But we can form a very biblical concept of what heaven is like. And we can visualize it within the parameters of biblical revelation. God desires we do so. Mm. So, heaven is also precious. 
the precious and the preciousness of heaven. Everything that is near and dear to you and me, everything that is important to Christ followers, is in heaven. Mm. Everything. First, our Redeemer is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 9.24 says, Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into itself, heaven. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Just imagine the moment we get to heaven and we see Jesus. Right now, we don't see him with our visual eyesight. The Bible says, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8 hmm. If we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory now, when we cannot see him with visible eyesight, mm-hmm. think of our joy and glory when we can. Mm. Everything else will pale in signif- into insignificance. Revelation 22, 3 and 4 says, The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. Our relationships are in heaven. This was a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so we've been taught a lot of different things as kids. A lot of people have, and, you know, we're not kids anymore. But over the years, we've, <clears throat> we've heard a lot of different things taught. Right. And obviously we know that dogs aren't in heaven, but even though that's a fun movie. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, but there's the, the, I've always heard that for some reason I had heard that there we wouldn't necessarily know each other in heaven we would just kind of all be equals and whatever but that didn't make sense to me that we wouldn't know each other so this is a great chapter right here a great paragraph to read it's short but I'm going to go ahead and get this one our relationships are in heaven second heaven is precious because our relationships continue there Our loved ones who have died in Christ are all in heaven. My father told me toward the end of his life, this is Dr. Jeremiah talking, he said, you know, David, one of the things about getting old is this. One day you begin to realize you have more friends in heaven than you have on earth. (laughs) (laughs) He was right about that. It happens gradually, but surely as we age. Hmm. Our resources are also in heaven. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled Mm. that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. When you became a Christian, God became your father, and he made you an heir. We are heirs of God, and the Bible is full of information about our inheritance. In Ephesians, it says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. One eleven. Colossians one twelve says, We are qualified in Christ to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Hebrews 9.15 says we are called to Christ to receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And in Revelation 21.7 it says the glories of heaven 
He who overcomes shall inherit all things. You have an inheritance in Christ that will never be touched by inflation. It won't be lost in an economic crash. Its value will never decline or decrease, and it is both reserved and preserved for you. Your name is on it, and your eternal resources are there. Our residence is in heaven. Heaven is also precious to us because our residence is there. I'm not just talking about where we will live. I'm talking about our citizenship. When we become Christ followers, we become residents of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not citizens on, of earth who are going to heaven. We are citizens of heaven who are traveling through earth. <laughs> when you apply for a passport, you have to state where you were born where you currently live, your birth date, and so forth. So if approved, the government issues you a passport to let other governments know where you, that you are a citizen of the United States, or Germany or Mexico or wherever. I was born in Toledo, Ohio, says Dr. Jeremiah, and I live in Southern California. I also have a United States passport. But my real residence is in heaven. I'm a citizen of that land, and I'm currently here on earth as an ambassador. That's true of every believer, you and I. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Philippians 3.20 and 2 Corinthians 5.20 mm -hmm. Our reward is also in heaven. Mm -hmm. Our Redeemer, our relationships, our resources, and our residence are in heaven. And so are our rewards. Jesus told his followers amid persecution, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Matthew 5.12 Chapter 16 of this book is devoted entirely to what the Bible says about the rewards awaiting for us in heaven. So he kept that little section short. Mm -hmm. Our riches are in heaven. Heaven is also precious to us because it's where our riches are. Matthew six nineteen through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Mm -hmm. For where your treasure is, there also your heart will be also. What a statement. We can lay up for ourselves riches in heaven. Hmm? They got stocks there? <laughs> <clears throat> the only way we can get our treasures from here to there is by investing in God's work. So he does have stock accounts. Yeah. Take stock in God, everybody. He pays big dividends. We can't take our money with us to heaven or our homes, cars, boats, or articles of clothing. But... We can take other people with us by investing our lives and resources in the spreading of God's kingdom. The only things going from earth to heaven are human souls yeah. and the word of God. So if you're trying to build equity in heaven, invest your time, talents, and treasures in the word of God and the souls of men and women who need this message, message of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Our reservation is in heaven. Finally, heaven is precious because our reservation is there. There is a book in heaven, a registry, called the Lamb's Book of Life, in which the names of all who will be in heaven are recorded. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion after they had reported great success in their ministries, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, 20. Mm -hmm. Is your name written in heaven? Mm -hmm. Do you have a reservation there? Mm -hmm. One day you'll stand before God and he will say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Mm -hmm. You must be able to say, my name is in the Lamb's book of life. I have a reservation. I have put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and therefore I qualify to come in through his shed blood. Ruthanna Metzger is a professional singer who told a story that illustrates the importance of this. Several years ago, Ruthanna was asked to sing at a wedding in Seattle where she lives. It was a very upscale wedding. A member of one of the wealthiest families in the city was getting married and Ruthanna considered it a great honor to be chosen as the soloist. She was particularly exciting because the wedding reception was to be held on the top two floors of the Columbia Center, the tallest building in the Northwest. It was very exclusive, and Ruthanna couldn't help thinking about how fun it would be to go there with her husband, Roy. After the wedding, after the wedding Ruthanna and Roy drove to the beautiful facility and approached the reception desk. They saw how the maitre d', who was decked out in a splendid tuxedo, admitted and introduced the guests and ushered them toward luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages. About that time, the bride and groom approached a beautiful glass and bar staircase leading to the top floor, and someone ceremoniously cut a satin ribbon draped across the bottom of the stairs and announced that the wedding feast was about to begin. As Roy and Ruthanna approached the top of the stairs, the maitre d' asked them, May I have your name, please? Before him was a bound book. I am Ruthanna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. The maitre d' searched through the listings in the book, and then he looked again. He asked Ruthanna to spell her name, and he searched again. Finally, he looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. Oh... Oh, there must be some mistake, Ruthanna said. I'm the singer. I sang for this wedding. It doesn't matter who you are or what you did, said the man. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend this banquet. He mentioned to a waiter and said, Show these people to the service elevator, please. Ouch. The Metzgers were unceremoniously ushered past beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp, whole smoked salmon, and magnificent carved ice sculptures. They passed the orchestra, preparing to perform. All the musicians were resplendent in white tuxedos. The Metzgers were led past the guests, enjoying the food, the fellowship, the views, and the opulence of the moment. And the waiter took Ruthanna and Roy to the service elevator, ushered them in, and pushed G for the parking garage. Damn. The Metzgers were stunned to find themselves out in the street, driving home in silence. Somewhere along the way, Roy looked over and asked, Sweetheart, what happened? She said, when the invitation arrived for the reception, I was very busy, and I never bothered to return the RSVP. Besides, I was the singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. 
Then Ruth Anna later recalled, she started to cry, not only because she had missed the most lavish banquet she'd ever been invited to, but also because she suddenly had a small taste of what it will be like someday for those people that stand before Christ and find their names missing from the Lamb's book of life. Wow. The Almighty God that we serve right now is inviting you to this banquet. But you need to get your reservation. Yep. You must respond to his RSVP. That's the main thing. This is the main thing. We're trying to keep the main thing the main thing. We're cutting out this other stuff because this is the main thing, folks. Yep. Nothing else is going to matter. That's right. Right now, the main thing right now is your ticket and your acceptance of his ticket. If you're reading these words or hearing these words that we're reading to you right now and you aren't sure your reservation is secure, I urge you to pray about it right now. Mm -hmm. Confess your sins. Acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do it now. Dear Lord, I'm so sorry for my sins. I admit I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. I need your help. Lord, I acknowledge that you are Lord. You're Jesus Christ, our Lord, and my Savior, and you died for my sins. Thank you. You are my Lord and Savior. I wish to follow you. Amen. Do that simple thing right now. Turn your life over to his control. And accept his free offer of the gift of not missing that big banquet. Mm. And that's not just one banquet. That's eternal life with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Then the God of peace will be with you.